Welcome to episode 233 of Live Happy Now. I'm your host, Paula Phelps, thanking you for joining us again this week. If you've ever watched elite athletes and wondered what makes them so different, we've got great news for you. Today's guest can answer that question. But what's even better is that she can tell you how you can apply some of the same winning techniques to your own life. Annie Vernon is a two-time world champion, Olympic silver medalist with the Great Britain rowing team, and a two-time Olympian who has learned that the secret to winning doesn't just lie in physical prowess, but is just as dependent on the right mindset. In her book, Mind Games, Determination, Doubt, and Lucky Socks, An Insider's Guide to the Psychology of Elite Athletes, she explores how the way we think changes our outcomes. So whether your playing field is a boardroom, a classroom, or your kid's playroom, she's here to tell you how changing your mindset can improve your game. Annie, welcome to Live Happy Now. Thanks very much. It's great to be here. This is exciting because we don't normally talk to athletes on our show. We talk to experts in many different ways, but it's really unusual for us to have an athlete. So I'm very excited to talk to you today. Oh, thanks. It's, it's a real privilege to be representing the athlete community. Yeah, no pressure, but you're bearing <laughs> yeah. the weight of the athletic world right now, I'm bringing it flying, to us. But flying the flag. Now, you've done some really exceptional things. And I guess to start out, I wanted to find out at what point you knew that you weren't just athletic, but that you truly had an exceptional gift. I think it was probably when I was at, at university. And I suppose like any elite athlete, there's two parts. Number one, realizing that actually you could be good enough. You know, you're in that ballpark. You're the right level of physical performance. But secondly, and I would say this is far more important, realizing that you want it. You really want to see what you can do with your sport. So for me, it was probably when I was at university, 19, 20, 21, that kind of age, when I started to realize that, yeah, compared to my peers, I was probably at a decent standard. I was at a decent standard in order to, to take that step and try and trial for the British rowing team. But secondly, it was really just, for me, the flame had been lit. I just wanted to see, okay, there's this thing called rowing. I'm fascinated by it. How good can I be in it? And I think that innate sense of curiosity is something that unites every elite athlete from every sport. And were you doing other sports before rowing? My passion was hockey when I was a kid. Well, field hockey, I should say. So you weren't doing the ice hockey? We don't have much ice hockey here in the UK. <laughs> <laughs> you know, your book is super, super interesting because we tend to think of elite athletes as being physically superior, but you really show how important that mindset is. First of all, does that mindset come naturally to an elite athlete or is that something that you have to develop just like you develop your other skills? It's absolutely something that you have to develop. That's the process I'm trying to trace in mind games. It's how you go from being just a regular kid to being a superhuman adult. Well, do you start off with having a tiny bit of natural propensity for something. So let's say competitiveness. You're perhaps as a primary at primary school as an eight-year-old, you'll be a tiny bit more competitive than other people. And that might lead you into, into structured team sports, which trains that competitiveness. So actually, by the time you're 15, you're probably a lot more competitive than the people around you. So let's say you end up in professional sport. Suddenly, that competitiveness, again, is being trained and focused and honed and refined. So then as an adult, actually, you're 100 times more competitive than other people. But you didn't start out like that. You started just being a little bit more interested in it than other people. So take an example. I have a one-year-old and he's really into trains. That's his big thing. But he wasn't born naturally being into trains. At some point in his short life, he's shown an interest in trains. 
So my husband and I have bought him trains and taken him on trips to see trains and buy him, you know, clothes with trains on. And suddenly at 18 months, he's really into trains. That's his big thing. I would say it's a really similar process with elite sport. You start off with that tiny bit more natural curiosity, a bit more natural resilience, a tiny bit more motivation. You look around you and you think, actually, I'm going to be better than all these people in my class. And then you put yourself in that environment of sport and all of those parts of your personality become trained and enhanced and refined. So actually, by the time you pop out as an adult, they're, they're a really huge dominant part of your personality. And which is more important, having that mental aspect or having the physical ability? I would say it goes hand in hand. It really does. I'm sure that all of us who have been elite performers, we all know loads of people that we could look at along the way and say, do you know what? They were better than me. They were really naturally talented. They could have been Olympic champion, but they're not. And the reason they're not is because they just didn't have it mentally. They didn't have perhaps enough motivation to keep on slogging away day after day after day after day. Perhaps they just lost interest. They didn't have as much passion as, as I did or, or somebody else did who did make it to the top. I guess when you get to the top in elite sport, everyone is amazing physically. Of course they are. But the real top performers are the ones who can produce it every single time they go out. There really aren't any chinks in their armor. And where does that mental toughness come from? I know that you talk about how you can develop it, but it's got to be there. You have to have something to work with to begin with. Just like physically, you have to have, you know, maybe a certain size or a certain gift to be able to play at that level. Where does that mental aspect come from? You use the word mental toughness. And I think it's really bespoke to your sports and your situation. Let's say, I don't know, golf and swimming, two completely different sports. They require different physical skills. They require completely different mental skills as well. So you'll end up with two completely different kind of people who are both perhaps world beaters at their sport. And the reason they've got there is because, I don't know, let's say they had a tiny bit more self-belief again as kids which came from the messages from their parents, the messages from their teachers and and coaches at youth level. Let's say they then developed a system of self-talk and reinforcing those messages so they were good at developing confidence in themselves. Then they got into their elite sports team where actually they learned a lot from people around them and, and senior players on the team who could teach them about confidence. By the time you pop out the other end, you have your way of engendering confidence in yourself. In my own experiences, I used to talk a lot about belief. I used to say, okay, do you know what? I don't know if I'm good enough to be an Olympic champion, but I'm only going to find out when it's too late to do anything about it. So why don't I train with the belief of an Olympic champion from day one? And then, do you know what? I might get to the end of my career and say, well, fair enough. I wasn't good enough to be Olympic champion. I was wrong. But if I go through my whole career waiting for that to happen before I can believe it, well, chances are it'll never happen at all. That was my way of developing confidence in myself. But if you asked 100 elite athletes, they'd all give you a slightly different answer. So I guess you, you kind of have to find the one that works for you. Is that it? There's kind of different Absolutely. paths. Again, that's what sport teaches you. You know, sports at any level, I'm not talking about the elite level, but at any level at all, sport teaches you to get beaten, you know, lose a match by an absolute country mile or go out running and come last in a race. And you do have to pick yourself up and and look at yourself in the mirror and say, okay, well, what went wrong? Why did it go wrong? And I can certainly think as a young rower, there are quite a lot of races that I'd, you know, I'd underperform or I'd come in last. And afterwards, I say to myself, the reason I came last in that race was nothing to do with not being a very good rower. 
it was to do with the way I was thinking. I suppose it was those moments that I thought to myself, well, I can't train any harder because I'm already training as hard as I can. I need to think better. Thinking better. That's such a great phrase. <laughs> like learning how to think better. It's that self-awareness. It's holding a mirror up to yourself and saying, well, what can I see? What's happening? Who is this person? You might not like it. You might not, you know, as, as a rower, I was always quite small and I would have loved to have been six foot tall when I'm actually just five foot 10. But could I change it? No. <laughs> In the same way, could I change the fact that I'm not a very good natural team player and it's something I really had to work at? Well, do you know what? I could change that. So let's get on and start focusing on the things I am in control of. You talk a lot about self-awareness and how that's really important in developing a successful winning mindset. How do you develop self-awareness? I think the answer to this is, is similar to most of the answers in sport. It takes time. It really does take time. You don't expect to run a 100 meters in 10 seconds overnight. You do that after years of training. In the same way, to be really good at doing that, that self-awareness piece. Do you know what? It takes time and it, it takes effort. But I think it comes back to a lot of self-analysis, a lot of self-review, asking people around you, finding those key people you can trust and, and taking advice from them, being very self-referencing, and just always, I think, asking questions of, okay, how did I do there? What was I thinking? How was I feeling? Is this the right environment for me? If it's not, change the environment. How can I get more out of myself? That can be an uncomfortable spot to be in because when you're asking, you're basically looking at what you need to do better. But in doing that, you have to really see your flaws and your shortcomings. And whether it's in athletics or in your own personal development, um, that can be very, very uncomfortable. Of course it is. Yeah, yeah, you're right. And not everyone likes doing it. But I guess, like I said earlier, it's success in life and also contentment and happiness in life. It doesn't come from being the best person out there. It comes from being the cleverest person out there and the wisest person out there. And if you can always have that aim of being, okay, I'm not going to be the biggest boxer in the fight, but I'm going to be the cleverest. That's terrific. You really do look at how you offset any kind of shortcomings that you can't change and try to find what you do have as strengths and use them for your advantages. So you use this a lot in the sports realm, but what can non-athletes learn? How can they take your book and how can they start applying that to improving their lives? Because there's so many great lessons in here. Yeah, I think sport is is really universal. And the lessons we learn in sport, of course, transfer across to life. I would say one of the key things people can learn, and I think this is something that elite athletes are really good at, is they never get put off by the enormity of a challenge. I mean, you know, my own sport, it was the Olympic, Olympic final, perhaps another sport, it's the Super Bowl or it's the World Championships. Do you know what? It's a huge, huge thing. And and you do have that. I'm sure listeners will know about the fraud mentality that I'm actually not good enough to be here. It's just that nobody's noticed Mm -hmm. it yet. Well, that affects every single person on the planet. I mean, the guys running out in the NFL every week might look like they're full of confidence, but all the time it'll just be an act. And they'll be as terrified (laughs) as terrified as people who be doing it for the first time are. It really is about breaking it down. Okay, what can I do today? that can better equip me for this challenge I've got to face? What's the tiny change I can do today? For me, at one point in my rowing career, I really suffered from stress. It was something I I knew I had to get on top of because it's just so poisonous and it can destroy you. So I just set aside 10 minutes a day, you know, to do some meditation, to do some mindfulness. And that was my tiny little step that made me feel in control. And did it make a difference to my overall speed at the Olympic Games? Probably not. But did it make me feel like I was taking control of my life 
and taking control of my body and my mind? Yes, it did. And if you're putting yourself in the driving seat and always trying to ask those questions about yourself, how can I be better? How can I be happier? Then actually the massive challenge will then seem a lot more achievable. And did that become second nature for you in rowing? Yeah, I mean, those tiny little behavior changes that you can make every day, it then becomes part of your routine, doesn't it? So again, I'm not going to try and shave 10 seconds off my time over 2,000 meters in a day. I'm going to try and do it over four years. And that breaks down to a few hundredths of a second per day. Well, actually, that's that's achievable. That's doable. Don't think about the, the big goal. Think about the today. Think about the here and now. I would say people talk about dream big, reach for the stars. And I would say, fine, dream big, but think small. Dream of the big challenge. Think about the small step you can do today in your life that sets you on that pathway. That's terrific because we don't tend to look at those little small incremental steps that we have to take. We do look at that big goal. Exactly. And I think in sport, that's just how you train yourself to think. That's how you program yourself. That Okay, cool. The Olympic Games is in four years time. That's great. I'm in the gym today on my own. How am I going to make this session as good as it can be in order to set myself up for this thing that's happening in four years? That makes the big goal less daunting when you break down your rowing and, okay, you're going to shave tenths of a seconds off every day. That is attainable. And so breaking it down like that does put it in your grasp, doesn't it? It does. And, and again, it's that sense of control and that sense of this is my journey. This is my career. This is my rowing or this is my job. This is my family, whatever it is. Do you know what? Just take it one day at a time and just break it down into achievable goals that you can have ownership over. And being able to master your mind the way that you have done, how has that affected you when you're not doing something athletic? How has it changed the other areas of your life? Well, do you know what? Writing the book actually taught me a huge amount more about psychology. You know, I kind of went into it thinking, yep, I've been there. I've done it. I think I know what I'm talking about. And actually, so many people taught me things during the book that I thought, I wish I'd known this when I was rowing. And actually, you've just said that I master psychology. And I would say one of the reasons that I'm so interested in psychology is that I wasn't very good at it when I was rowing. It was something that I really had to work hard at. It took me a long time to figure out myself, my brain, you know, my optimum way of performing. And it probably took years and years before I could say, OK, I think I I think I understand how I tick now. I'm not doing it perfectly, but I think I get what's going on. I think that's one of the reasons that it led me into writing a book, because I found that subject so fascinating. You've described it very well in the book, and you really do break it down and make it seem like, gosh, this is this is something that people can do, and we can understand it better. One thing I did want to ask you about is when someone is performing under pressure, and for you it was rowing, but this yeah. could be a business presentation or a physical competition, which is more helpful? Is it to be zen and calm or to be all amped up on adrenaline? Because I... I see people on both sides who say their way is like going to be most effective. I'm sure. And I'm the same. When I was rowing, there was certainly before a big race, there'd be people who'd be sat there, sunglasses on, headphones on, listening to some hard house music. And then there'd be a load of other people who'd just be sitting back, reading the newspaper, chatting away. You know, and these are both people who are preparing themselves to race the biggest race of their lives. And they look completely different before they do. And their mental preparation is completely different. So I would say that it's, it is it is really individual, as long as you find the, the thing that works for you. I mean, certainly early in my career, I was the one spitting blood before the race, really angry, <laughs> full of adrenaline, because I thought that's what you need to do. That's how you need to perform. And it wasn't until I've, I'd been racing internationally for a few years that I thought, actually, I don't know if this is right for me. I'm not sure this gets me in the right frame of mind on the start line. 
I feel stressed. I feel tense. I don't think this is good. So I tried being really relaxed. And actually, that was much better for me on those days. What you do is you make a decision, then you make that the right decision. Oh, wow. And I think in terms of things I've taken away from the book that I bring into my life now, I would say that phrase is probably the one that I use the most. I'm currently wrestling with with parenting and like most first time parents, I have no idea what I'm doing. But my <laughs> husband and I, my husband and I, we try and we try and pick a way of doing things and then make that the right way of doing things. We don't know if we're Terrific. right, but we think we, we've got to have consistency and we've got to have confidence in what we're doing. So we pick one way and, and we try and say that's the right thing to do. What's great is if someone is trying, like, we'll put it in the business sense and they're going like, okay, I'm going to get myself amped up before I go do this big presentation and they're not doing well, then they can adjust things. They can go like, hey, maybe I'm going to do little meditation beforehand instead. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Maybe, maybe sit there, you know, cracking a joke to one of your colleagues before you go in to do the presentation and just see what happens. Just experiment and see what happens because ultimately you'll probably surprise yourself with what's the right thing for you, what's the right psychology to have. The right mindset will change your outcomes every time. Of course, yeah. Because actually, apart from anything, your mindset is the thing you've got control over. And actually, it's the bit that requires no more effort. You think about you want to get a faster runner or be a better swimmer or be you know, a better qualified teacher or have decades more years of law under your belt. Well, actually, you can't do that without a huge amount of effort, a huge amount of time. But just changing the way you think and changing the way that you arrange your thoughts and arrange your emotions, well, that's free. You can do that yourself straight away without investing any more money or time or energy into your career. And it's just there for you. So give it a go. The next time you pay to go on an expensive training course to, to upskill you in this that, or the <laughs> other, actually just think about the free, easy steps you can take to just rearrange your thoughts, to just, just experiment with a slightly different way of doing things. Yeah. And your book is a great testament to the ability of everyday individuals to do that. And so as we're signing up now, we are going to come back. We're going to tell them how they can uh, link to your TED Talk and we're going to tell them where they can get the book, tell them a little bit more about you. But what what advice would you give it? if there's someone out there who's like, man, I know I can do better in my life, just have to change my mindset? Where do they start? What are what are three things that they can do right now that they can start changing their mindset and turning around whatever in their life they want to improve? I think step one is by Mind Games by Annie Vernon. There you go. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, obviously, and step two is download this podcast. Clearly, subscribe to it. Step one. I like it so far. <laughs> <laughs> I would say step one is, you know, to repeat myself again, it is that self-awareness, that self-assessment. Who am I? What do I do well? What excites me? What scares me? Number two, I guess, understand your different personalities. There is you as a family person. There is you in the workplace. There is you in your downtime. There is you under pressure. There is you under no pressure. And understand that your psychology, actually, it's got many hats on. So understand every single one of those hats. And I would say, thirdly, learn from people around you that you like and you trust. And I think the, the value of mentors and coaches and colleagues that you really respect and really look up to, you cannot overstate the importance of having those people in your life and those people around you. Fantastic. Well, Annie, it was a pleasure to talk to you. This is a tremendous book, really looks at the mindset and how we can change ours and use it to improve our lives. So thank you for writing it and thank you for coming on the show and talking to us. It's been great. Thanks so much. 
That was Annie Vernon, author of Mind Games, Determination, Doubt, and Lucky Socks, An Insider's Guide to the Psychology of Elite Athletes. If you'd like to learn more about Annie, her book, or watch her TED Talk, please visit us at livehappynow.com, and we'll give you links and more information. We hope you're already a subscriber to Live Happy Now, but if you're not, you can find us on the Pandora Podcast Network, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, iTunes, and Google Play. Just find us on your favorite platform and hit subscribe so you'll never miss an episode. That is all we have time for this week. We'll meet you back here again next week for an all-new episode. And until then, this is Paula Phelps reminding you to make every day a happy one. Mm -hmm.